Hey everyone, David here. I want to tell you about my music podcast, On Rotation. It's engaging, interactive, and insightful. Music mm-hmm. entwines with everything. It's something that always rings true to me. So when I need something to kind of root me, I can always go back to music in a sense, you know? Yeah. Join me each episode as we rotate through a number of topics and hear why it's the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Listen to On Rotation wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My goal writing music was always I want someone else who feels like me to hear someone else say that they feel like me so I don't feel so alone. I want to be able to deliver a sound that's honest but has a story to tell. I've never ever felt remorse for spending lots of money on making music because that's going to be forever. If I'm not happy playing to the people that love what we do now, it's not going to make a difference if there's 10,000 people listening to what we're doing versus 100. Music's great. (laughs) Everyone loves music. Was not always this way. Oh, he had a burning heart, but he traded it away. Hey, everybody, what's up? What's happening? You're listening to On Rotation, the podcast that's always on replay and never on repeat. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is David. I'll be your host and lovely guide. Your man, Alex Smith, has always walked to the beat of his own drum when it comes to his music. The Brisbane artist has been practicing music for almost a decade and is really coming into his own with his latest upcoming album. I got a chance to speak with Alex about the many turns in his musical journey and how they molded him into the artist he is today. Your actual name is Alex Smith, but your performer name is your man Alex Smith, correct? Yes. And you've been going by that since 2012. Is that when you first started in music, like taking it on as a full professional career, would you say? Yeah, I remember I had a day on May 5th where I was like, I'm going to do this as a career. And I actually was already doing entertainment, quotation marks, as just like Alex Smith on YouTube. I was a, a vlogger. Hey guys, it's your man Alex Smith was like the way I started each video. Then I kept it because I was young and I thought it was cool. Uh, and then I printed business cards and got things printed and made websites. So now I'm kind of, I'm in it. So I can't change out of it now, but uh, I like it. It's easier to remember than just Alex Smith. So like you kind of started out with this whole alter ego, you could say of your man, Alex Smith, and you starting to do entertainment. What do you mean by entertainment with the quotation marks? I don't consider entertainment because I didn't find, <laughs> didn't find it entertaining. Okay. It was just very uh, cringe. And you know, the, uh, the, hey, look at me kid who would like get your attention and then you look over and just like do a, a, a spin and you'd be like, ah, oh. uh, it was yeah. just like that talking about my day and being like hey check out that. and I, I thought I was the coolest guy in the world but um I looked back even like three years later and I was like oh these are bad <laughs> these are really poorly made yeah I'm so glad I made them and cringe culture is dead let kids enjoy what they're doing but um I'm allowed to cringe at myself <laughs> yeah it's part of who you are it obviously is part of your legacy now but what was I guess the transition to music, like, was there something specific that made you decide to go directly into music? Yeah, I was part of a feature film, which didn't end up getting made in the end, called Carols. It was like an indie film that was made in Brisbane, and they, they they were doing all these fundraising events to pay for it. And I had been playing a little bit of guitar at the time, and they had this, like, monster prom themed gig at this pub. And they were like, hey, can you come and, you know, anyone who's got any talents, please come and play. And I played some covers, all the classics like Hotel California and I'm Yours. And then, yeah, it was just nice to have like a room full of people cheering. And I was like, hey, I could I could do this. I want to do this. And so I decided to do it. And yeah, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. It was, a, it was a good time. I think also that coupled with I was beginning my mental health journey. And I'd been working, it wasn't a full-time job, but it was like full-time hours. And I had a moment where my mind broke when I was like, wait a second, there's always going to be new customers. I'm making food. I'm not making a difference. 
I'm just getting money to pay for a place to live when I'm not at work. Oh my God, is this adult life? Oh my God. And it's I very existential. Out. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm spending all my time doing stuff I don't want to do. And so I broke it down and was like, all right, well, what do I like to do? If I had to do something for the rest of my life, what would I want to do? And I was like, well, I guess music. I like music. And so I was like, all right, we're going to do music now. And you had a lot of musical influences I saw specifically, I think from your dad, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Um, my dad has an entire wall of vinyls and stuff. And that's just down here. He has them upstairs as well. He has a huge vinyl collection and CDs. He's always been a massive music lover. Even my mom as well. She'd <laughs> had a lot of like 90s, like uh, Enrique Iglesias and stuff. And they'd always be blasting it through the house. And so through exposure as a kid, I just heard all this really great music. And uh, I've been very lucky, I realized now that I grow up that uh, my dad would take me to concerts. And yeah, and it just kind of instilled a love of music in me. And I think it was a way to feel connected to my parents. And then I think just when I grew up, it was like, of course, why wouldn't I? Because also like, music's great. <laughs> Everyone loves music. And what about theater? Because you mentioned that too, that had a big impact on you. That one wasn't as expected as music. I know that I, I definitely was a theater kid growing up and that I was like, everybody look at me and had a, a lust for entertainment. And then we briefly mentioned before we started recording the, the OP system in Australia that you got to do a bunch of exams and then you get graded out of, I think, 26. And if you have a low OP, then it's harder to get positions. I got quite a low OP because the predicted you do like a test exam beforehand and then you do the actual exam and mm -hmm. my predicted op was five which is really good okay. and i was like oh, okay i've been stressing out over nothing and then my actual op was much 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 less and so i was like <laughs> oh beans so all the uh i ended up actually just getting the the book of things that you can apply for and you have like five options in order and there was only five that i could do like sparsely related things and it was like acting like woodworking you know just five completely unrelated things yeah i would never put woodworking and acting <laughs> together unless you're like um a puppeteer or something like that true that'd be some pretty good theater actually <laughs> and acting was the one that i got but then i found this group of people that you know in high school you're friends with your friends because you're all the same age and spend eight hours a day together but um, once you go to uni, it's like, hey, I like acting. It's like, I also like acting. I'm like, hey, we have something in common. That's cool. <laughs> and I really found my people. And I did heaps of musicals. And a lot of them were like student written musicals. So you, you were kind of there at the process. And also like, you know, I'm a kid of the 90s. I grew up with Alan Menken and Disney movies and stuff. And it's all just kind of a a melting pot to the extent where I find it really odd because people are like, oh, your, your music sounds like show tunes. And like, it sounds like theater. Whereas to me, I'm like, damn, <laughs> I was just trying to write music. Mm -hmm. But um, I think my DNA is so encoded in there. Yeah, I was curious to ask you that, like how you feel, because it sounds like I'm getting a very jovial energy from you and that kind of like inner childish energy from theater, or from Disney and all those things that you've mentioned. Is that something you kind of see coming out in your music and your presentation of your music? Yeah, it's kind of fluctuated. The songs I wrote uh, before I started getting them produced professionally those ones were a lot more of like I'm on stage I'm just having fun you know a lot of like theatricality like I'll do like a, a guitar solo with my mouth kind of thing and also because I was just one guy in an acoustic guitar mm -hmm. so I had to kind of do the band parts that weren't here and then there'll be like a trumpet bit here that goes so the first show was like a complete hot mess and then as I started getting more professionally produced I tried to keep as much of the fun theatrical element in it, but uh, various producers have kind of like worn me away, like the tide on the cliff and being like, if you want to get this music out to people who can hear it, then you kind of got to play the game a little bit. Mm. And so I've been pulling it back a little bit because enjoying life and not caring what anyone thinks is such a fine line between cringe and cool. And I often tend to fall on the, uh, the cringe dad joke kind of side of things which uh, isn't great for selling but uh i'm definitely gonna pull a cold play and once i get big i'm just gonna be like here's the music i want to make hooray yeah um, but it's kind of like you're saying you're at that process where you're trying to build yourself up and build up that reputation first yeah i've been doing this for nearly 10 years and maybe having fun with it hasn't been sticking as much as we'd like but also like 
it's it's kind of a fine line because the music itself is about upsetting stuff and I kind of do make it fun so that people can listen to it. I like to reward people who take the time to listen to the lyrics and analyze it. But that's the other thing, because when you go to a gig, it's not fun to sing an entire set of like sad songs. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun to go to a gig and like listen to an entire set of sad songs. You know, I've got some sad songs that I write and I try to make them fun to play and fun to listen to because it, it's not it's not really enjoyable for either party to um just have an entire set of sad, slow boring songs on that note of gigs i also noticed something that you had sent to me about your bio where you noticed just the impact that smaller gigs can have over an artist performing in arenas so what about that concept like how do you feel about having smaller more intimate settings versus the aspiration that a lot of artists would have of performing in an arena type setting yeah like small gigs are going to make up the majority of your career if you think it's beneath you or if you're not comfortable playing a smaller gig, then you're not really going to make it to the arena. And also, like, the, the music scene, it's it's just a bunch of, like, especially in Brisbane, which is a very small town, if you're not nice and if you're not fun to play with and if you have an ego, then people aren't going to want to play with you. And I love that it's play with you because it makes me feel like we're a bunch of kids in the sandbox because I get sad whenever I'm like, hey, do you want to play on my uh, lineup? And they're like, nah, we're too busy. And I'll talk to my friends and be like, oh, she doesn't want to play with me. <laughs> but um, it's very much that. The small gigs are important. And also you learn a lot of, you learn a lot of really important skills, like being nice to the audience. Like, I can't stress enough that some of the egos I've seen, and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're playing to 20 people in a 100-person venue in Brisbane. So you got to check that ego at the door, my friend. You know, we're here to have a, a good night for these people. If it weren't for these people in this room, we wouldn't have anything. So, like, be nice to the people who support you. Is that something know. you've I, run yeah. into pretty often? It sounds like it from what you're insinuating. I won't name any names because it's, as I said, Brisbane's very small. But yeah. um, it's horrible to see because also it's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this if you, if you don't like the people? You know, if you're just going to be a jerk to everybody, maybe you can get like a sense of entitlement after doing it for long enough. Like sometimes you get like a few lucky gigs and you play to some pretty big crowds. And I'm sure this will age terribly if I do become an asshole. But like, I hope that I don't let the fame get to my head and I start treating people like a jerk. And then we cut to like 20 years in the future and I'm like, I won't talk to anybody. Yeah, Send it's like to my hotel I reach out, we reach out again like, couple years down the road and you're like no I don't want to talk to him anymore like I already gave him my time once like no thanks I'm good yeah where do you kind of see yourself going in that time frame that's kind of a big question I wouldn't normally ask that at this point I'd probably save it for the end but where do you kind of see yourself going I guess with your career well it's kind of a, a tough one I've been having the realization lately that the music I make isn't really top 40 music mm-hmm. so I guess trying to chart my success off those artists isn't really accurate because it's not like I'm gonna win an aria and you know play big sound and all this stuff so i think i'm kind of trying to learn what my definition of success is and what the extrapolation of this career could be because like jonathan colton is probably a little bit close to my sound he wrote the portal song still alive and you know he's got all his own incredible music um but i think there are other artists in brisbane like emma dean you know she hires out the the powerhouse and she's toured around the the fringe circuit mm-hmm. so it's kind of tough because as a kid i was always like yeah, I'll get a number one selling album and I'll go do all the awards and I'll tour around the world, all this stuff. But I think it's like, I'm not really part of that world. And that's not me saying like, I'm better or anything. Like, I wish I was part of that world because, you know, growing up, you always want to be. But um, I don't think that's the world I belong in. I, I belong in a different world. And I think it's just very much finding out what that is. And people have always mentioned the theater side mm. of things. And I, I think I want to lean more into that, which is why this this album, once it comes out, I want to put together kind of a, a show. And I want to try and tour that around because I think maybe I should just lead into the theater thing. And also I'm, you know, doing the podcast and I really love making music videos. I think that I could definitely find a home on the internet. I think the internet is definitely a good place me well it sounds like you started like we said when you started doing those vlog videos back in the day it's like the internet's kind of your place it's true i have made new vlogs i would never remake those old vlogs but i guess i've i've learned now that you know you should have decent lighting <laughs> you should yeah. have something to talk about yeah you've you had other just... things come your way and you've had other experiences where you're like yeah if i were to do this again i know how to make it better 
Yeah, I kind of suffer from the curse of thinking differently from other people. And it isn't as much of a, a hit rate as I'd like, where it's like you think outside the box and thus, you know, you, you have an edge on everyone. Sometimes it's like, we should go through this door. And I'm like, what if we clambered through the window? And it's like, oh, that actually takes a lot longer and isn't very successful. But um, I think that sometimes thinking a little bit differently from other people does have it, its benefits. And at the moment, it seems very much like the, the Brisbane musician plan is if we just play gigs every week, then we'll blow up one day. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, it can't, it can't be that. Like, if everyone is doing the same thing, then you're going to get the same results as everyone else. Like, you got to do something different, which is why I'm taking a gamble, I'll say it, on this, uh, this animated music video that I'm getting made. And it's only a gamble in the sense that I have an expected outcome. Other than that, it's just an incredible piece of art that I'm very proud of. Well, yeah, um, why don't you talk about it a little bit more with me? Tell me about this animated video. Like, what song is it for? Well, for the Cowboy song, Align, that's the first track of the new album. When it came out, because I had like a little small acoustic show and I was like, hey, everybody, I've got some new songs. Which ones do you think I should put on the album? And everyone just unexpectedly really liked this Cowboy song. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I guess I'll make that the first single. And then I did the Cowboy song. You know, the people who were there probably were in a Cowboy mood that night, but it just like exploded. <laughs> and, you know, it's almost... Next year is going to be my, my 10 year anniversary of being Wymus. So I wanted to do something really special. So I, there's a, a series on YouTube called uh, The Tales of Elethrion. And I was using that as an example of like what I wanted. And I was like, hold up, why don't I just ask this animation house whether they can animate it? And they did. And I was like, oh my God. And uh, we've been working on that since or September of last year. And it's coming together and it looks so cool. The flip side is that animation is pricey and right. I've um, if I were to do this again I'd probably have because obviously it costs money to market an album I probably would have made sure that I had some money to market the album before going into this wonderful expensive incredible <laughs> massive contract well if you've been working on this video <laughs> since September of last year you said how long were you working on the album itself I, I say 2017 because that's when I know uh, I definitely hit the gas. But um, the Cowboy song online, I remember playing it to a partner in 2013, but like in its real kind of squishy form. Like, um, you know, in Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, when he like plays Bo Rap on the piano and it's like, oh, it's something. And the audience is like, ooh, it's going to be Bo Rap. It would have been kind of like that because, you know, I play the, the first verse and I'm like, there's something there. And then six years later, I turn it into a line. But other than that, 2017 was kind of the time. So roughly like three years, like three to four years. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. From reading about what you sent me on the album, there's a lot in there, at least mm. like depth wise in terms of the inspiration behind it. And one of them that you mentioned specifically to me was about domestic violence and that mm. seems to be a huge concept so where does that kind of come into play like if you don't mind speaking on that i had an experience that i felt that I, I really wanted to talk about but i didn't want to talk about it in any sort of specific way that would ruin anyone else's life i didn't want to say anything that was going to get anybody in trouble and also once you start like it then becomes an allegation and then you know you start having to pull the teeth out of it and really analyze it, which wasn't what it was about. I don't think that anyone who was in my life at that time is around anymore or, yeah. and they don't care. But also like it was a, a massive thing that like changed me as a person. Like I, I've, I feel like I died <laughs> and that I've, I've been born again, but not in like a cool way. I, you know, those memes where something happens and then your ghost just floats away. Yeah. I feel like that. And I'd never quite been the same. And it was such a big impact on my life. I couldn't not, talk about it I couldn't not write about it because that's what I do I, I wish I was someone who writes joyous songs when I'm feeling great but the way that I write songs is if I've got some pain I need to talk about it so I like pull it out like a thorn which I'm working on because I want to write happy songs but um it was just such a big thing that changed my entire life and I had to write about it so I did and the interesting thing is that I'm not the same person I was in 2017 like I think that my opinion on some of the things I say have changed you know not too much so like the album's still kind of saying what I want I've accepted that uh, it's 2021 I'm just a guy from Australia I'm, I'm probably not going to be saying anything profound that has never been said before but I I know that 
all I have is my voice and my experience. And mm-hmm. I, when I was a kid, probably not so much now, but when I was a kid, mental health wasn't really spoken about. And my goal writing music was always like, I want someone else who feels like me to hear someone else say that they feel like me so I don't feel so alone. And I know that, um, you know, domestic violence against men isn't that spoken about and it's very stigmatized. And I mean, I guess it's all stigmatized, it's domestic violence, but like, you know, there's a lot of things like, oh, it doesn't happen as much. But even that conversation is like changing. You know, I think I took too long getting this album out, but it still slaps, so it's okay. It's just a thing that happened to me. Maybe I'm trying to put some big noble narrative to it, but maybe I just had to tell somebody about something that happened. And that's how it um, starts. Like you said, like your inspiration was you felt like you had to tell someone. And that's literally yeah. how the conversation starts. And that's how the exposure gets out there. And, you know, that's mm. that's a lot for anyone to do, but especially you as an artist, like that takes a lot out of you emotionally, creatively. What I want to ask next is what was like the price you kind of had to pay for that? Because that is very taxing and you have to take care of yourself. But it can also be hard, you know, with other people involved in your life. Like, was there anything that really you kind of had to like sacrifice in order to put this work out? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't expecting, which upon reflection is silly, but I wasn't expecting how much of a toll it would take. Because obviously, I don't I don't want to date the event so that people can try and piece together what happened but it was quite fresh uh, when I was going through it and I think I'd been not thinking about it for a long time it in itself had impacted me the you know the events and so I was already slightly different and then the writing retreat that I went off I went up north and stayed in the camper van for like four days straight and I I just like twisted the knife and like dug in and like was like what do I want to say how do I feel all this stuff and like it sucked and you know not to mention the financial element like I it's funny because this uh this music video has cost much more but at the time I thought that the the album was heaps and heaps of money and I don't make a lot of money you know I don't make a heap of money and I've, I've always been in the mindset of like, I'm never going to regret spending money on music. All my friends were like, you know, I can't believe you're spending all this money on music. Like, you know, you work so hard, you should get to buy like some takeout or something. But it's like, I'm not going to think about takeout a week later. You know, if I buy a, a giant cake, usually I feel pretty bad while I'm eating the cake. But like, I've never, ever felt remorse for spending lots of money on making music because that's going to be forever. It's definitely fulfillment too. Like there's, they're getting something out of it. You know, like it's your, it's your passion. It's your art. It's your humanity. Yeah. I think in terms of the toll, I think I probably could have moved on a lot quicker had I not been spending all my time reliving memories, writing down memories, and then going into the studio to record memories and then like digging stuff up in the studio. I also wrote a play that was like based on it as well. So I was also like rehearsing three times a week for this play. It's been a lot. And then there's also like the element of you're telling the story and the events that happened, you know, with a a fantasy lens. And then it becomes a thing of like, also, you know, they do still have power of you because every second of every day is spent making this shrine to them, you know, and like, you're not out of it. You're still making this thing for someone who isn't like there for you. And, you know, there's that element. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And then I've enjoyed this final bit where it's just pushing it because now I, I really do feel completely like it's the thorn is out now and I think it was really good because it was meant to come out in 2020 but it just wasn't the right year for it you know didn't really <laughs> feel like a good year to drop music and so having that time where it was like done and I wasn't contributing to it I could like breathe a sigh of relief and be like okay this yes. is actually a really good album and I'm, I'm really really proud of it like it's, it's the best stuff I've made so far and I'm really proud of like the consistency of like the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think each song's a banger and I'm just really proud of it. And I'm actually at a point now where when I listen to like the songs that are like about specific memories, they don't get a rise out of me anymore. I don't mm-hmm. flash back and I don't feel any pain or anything, which I think is good. And it took longer yeah. than expected, but the album did the intended purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I want to talk about the intention too that we were kind of hinting at with some of these songs like Crazy Days, Guilty, Slow Burn, those are some of the songs that I saw from the notes that you sent me. So what can you tell us about those songs specifically or any other songs too that might come to your head? So the first two EPs, the first one was very much, yeah, like I mentioned, like uh, I'm having a hard time and I want other people to know what it's like so that if they are also having a hard time, they can be like, oh, I'm not alone in this feeling. 
musically, the intention was to get radio play. So I wasn't 100% happy with the production. It was a little bit squeaky clean for me. Some of the songs sounded like a commercial for a, a theme park. Oh, boy. Um, and then the second EP, Guilty, that was a lot more of, well, I tried to do the radio play thing and it didn't take off. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so the second one was a lot more, for starters, it was real instruments. And it, it sounded a lot more authentic, but it was kind of too far in the other direction. But also like Little Automaton. Uh, that was a very theatrical song that people seemed to really like. That album was about, yeah, kind of the same thing. Just like wanting to write music with the intention of making people feel seen. And then Slow Burn is kind of a happy medium where it's like, I can write music about what is important to me and also make it something that people would want to listen to. Because the argument against albums, especially in 2021, is that, you know, who sits down and listens to a whole album these days? Which is a shame because I love the album. Like, I'm releasing a CD for this. Like, in the year of our Lord and Savior 2021, who's buying a CD? <laughs> but uh, it, it comes with a digital download. And it's just because I, as a musician, like releasing a CD. It feels good to have a physical thing. But uh, I always wanted to release an album. And I've got this album. And like you listen to it once through and you're like, cool, a nice story. And then you like listen to the, the songs individually that you like. Something else that I wanted to mention too, uh, you had mentioned too in the notes you sent me that a lot of reviews of your previous work were kind of mixed and didn't really allude to what you were trying to do as an artist. Like you felt like people were confused by your sound or at least from what I understood, people were like confused. They didn't know, as we just talked about, like certain intentions. Mm -hmm or what yeah. you were going for. So how are you able to take the criticism from your past work and really focus on crafting your projects now and your album that is coming out? It was kind of, it's that thing where when you get a bad review, it really sticks with you. Mm -hmm. um, much more than any of the good reviews. And I'm annoyed at how much it influences the album when I get a really bad review. I got a review of Crazy Days that eviscerated me for no reason. It was like some Tumblr blog and I was like, hey, I saw that you review music. Can you review my EP? And, you know, it wasn't like a big blog. And she was like, yeah, okay. And then she was like, I'm afraid. I'm not going to give the review that Alex probably wanted me to give when he gave me this EP. And just like tore me to shreds. And I was like, what? For what? Why? Oh, no. You get like, you go, why did you do this? And basically her big critique was that like, oh, it was all quantized and it all sounded very fake and midi. And I was like, okay, well... The next album will only have real instruments. No MIDI <laughs> at all, no matter what the cost. And so that was the next album. And then I sent that in for review. And I got this other <laughs> silly review that was like, you know, I really liked the first track, Little Automaton. I thought it was going to be like a thing set in a dystopian robot world. But then the next track wasn't. And like, I got really confused. And I kept expecting it to go back to the first track. And it never did. Three out of ten. I was like, what? Do you not understand the concept oh, of like multiple songs? So I was like, all right. People seem to think that the album doesn't know what it wants to be and that that's an accident. So for this next one, I was like, it does know what it wants to be. And what it wants to be is a bunch of different genres. And I'm mm -hmm. going to make that incredibly clear because that's also part of the story of the album. It's like when you tell a very traumatic story, but like you have heaps of jokes and stuff in the middle and like you try and distance yourself and you're like, yeah, you know, lol, guess I won't be blah. And everyone's like, yee. <laughs> and like, you know, that way of telling a traumatic story. And so, you know, nine out of 10 of the songs are kind of putting on hats and like being different characters. And like this one's an 80s driving ballad. This one's a, a jazz duet. And then at the very end, all the smoke and mirrors go away and it's just like acoustic guitar and vocals. And it's like, for real though. And then like has the kind of the real talk moment at the end. And I'm hoping that when a reviewer listens to it, they're going to be like, oh, I see. They're using the different genres as lenses to right. portray the difficult thing. But I feel like they're probably just going to be like, this album didn't know what it wanted to be. There was a cowboy song. There was a thing. And if anything, I've also, um, originally I distributed through TuneCore. I've since changed to DistroKid. You could like pay 30 bucks to get 30 reviews of your music. And uh, I realize now it was like a massive scam. And it was like, get a dollar to review a song and people would be like, it's good. And then, you know, and so the reviews were never of any substance. But what I learned was that it was a complete scatter shot. You know, some people were like 10 out of 10. I, I thought that this was very good. Or they'd be like zero out of 10. This is objectively terrible. And I was like, oh, I see. It really is subjective. <laughs> like you can't really trust reviews at all. Like 
you know, it, it actually really helped getting this like complete mixed thing of reviews because I was like, mm. I know that I like it and some people are going to hate it and some people are going to love it. And I think I got to stop trying to pander to these reviewers because like, you know, they don't even know what they want. Like these, this collection of reviewers here completely want different things from each other. So like, you just got to make the music you want. And the 7 billion people in the world, there's going to be a bunch of other Alex Smiths who are like, hell yeah, this is yeah. good. You're going to find those little pockets of people that understand the crazy vision that you were having and say, yeah, I get what he was doing. Yeah, because they're out there. You just got to find them. Yeah, for sure. Well, what details can you share about the album specifically? You know, the names, singles, what details can you share with us? Well, it's called Slow Burn, another multiple layered meaning. Uh, it's got 10 tracks, three of them out now on Spotify. That's Align, Trigger, and Rescue Me. It does have a narrative, but you can also listen to it out of order. And yeah, it's just a bunch of different genres. I feel like I am a big faker in a bunch of different genres because I study music technology and I'm always a big cynic whenever they're like, here's our new scream box. We've done a code that randomly generates tones and then we just listen to it for half an hour until it kind of tires itself out. And then I'm at the back being like, what? This sucks! Ah! Anyone who says, what is music, is usually a bit of a fuck that I don't want to talk <laughs> to. But the thing is, pioneers are there for a reason. And there's the pioneer who takes the musical concept far beyond anything anyone would like to listen to. And then there's the me, a few steps back, who takes that horrible concept and is like, hey, wait a second, if I do this, it actually sounds kind of nice. Mm -hmm. So by no means am I like treading new ground. I feel like a big faker. You know, there are some people who are like, oh, I can never get into jazz. You know, like all these incredible time signatures and studying at uni, I actually have gotten quite a good appreciation of jazz. But there's definitely like deep jazz, which kind of alienates people. But then there's also like, you bring it back a bit and you're like, oh, this is like fun jazz. And so I feel like I've gotten like a really surface level of a lot of really cool genres. And I think that anyone from those genres will be like, oh, this isn't jazz. Or, oh, this isn't country. This is an 80s music. I think there's a lot of pretentiousness in music. And a lot of people who are like, oh, I hate pop music. And I was like, it's designed to be candy for your ears, psychologically. <laughs> you know, there's like a fun version of everything. And it doesn't have to be incredibly alienating for the audience. Like, you don't have to have studied a jazz degree in order to enjoy jazz. And I'm sure that there are a lot of jazz people who are like, man, I'm never listening to this fucking guy <laughs> after, <laughs> after hearing that. Well, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how it does. We'll see who tunes in and who listens. And best of luck to you, Alex. Like, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all these details, too, about your work and just you as an artist. To wrap this all up, I just want you to at least mention first where people can find you and listen to your stuff. You know, the crazy collection that you have going on here that we've talked about. I also just want you to kind of answer my last question for you, which was like, what is the one thing about this album that just means something to you? Like the biggest, most important thing that this album has done for you and for your artistry? Well, if you like my music and you want to listen, uh, you can find it on Bandcamp and iTunes. Uh, if you don't have money, but you also want to support, please give me a follow on Spotify because having lots of Spotify followers is a very big deal. And, and that's all just your man, Alex Smith. I also have a, a Patreon as well, if you if you feel generous. And that's also your man, Alex. Oh, I also have a, a podcast called My Song Suck. But in terms of what this album's done for me, you know when you have something happen and you're like, okay, this is a chapter of my life. I have stepped into a new chapter of my life. This feels like the end of a chapter of my life. Especially having an album launch, um, we can be like, this is the end of the album. It definitely feels like a period of my life. I think it feels good to be able to put that to rest because it's been giving me a, a lot of grief for a long time and it's it's bled into every part of my life you know my work my my uni my my interpersonal relationships definitely felt an impact from the subject matter that this album was about and it's really pulling a thorn out and also just because i've been like bankrupting myself to make this album <laughs> so now it's like i'm gonna buy myself a bloody ice cream yep. cone because i can afford it now yeah um, exactly <laughs> i would like to think that i'm a better person now for having made this album uh, and at the very least i learned a lot and i hope that other people like it as well thank you alex i really appreciate you coming on and people can stream slow burn on june 18th thanks again alex thank you so much for having me 
I'm excited for this because this is doing something a little bit different with my review segment. I really wanted to do something with LGBTQ music in response to a blog post I put out a few weeks prior. So I decided to reach out to Monica Biltz, right? Monica Biltz. You got it. You got it. Who is, we'll say an aspiring podcaster, filmmaker, I mean, you are a barista, you told me. I am not an aspiring barista anymore. I've, I've, I'm a barista now. But You yeah. are a barista, so you have that title. But you do have <laughs> I your, have that. And you do have your own podcast. Do you want to just mm-hmm. let people know what it's called and like what you cover? And kind of the reason why I reached out to you is because you cover this type of material, but in a different format. Yeah, for sure. So I have a podcast called The Gaze Code Podcast, and we talk about the history and evolution of LGBT representation in Hollywood and beyond. Basically just film history, TV, how throughout the years gay people, queer people have made appearances and things as actors, how they've been portrayed as characters, the content they've created themselves, and how it's changed over time. And it's a lot of fun. We just love talking about gay movies and stuff. It's, it's good. It's all good. And that's why mm-hmm. I recruited Monica to come on to On Rotation, because I really want to talk about the evolution of LGBTQ music. So we're going to be reviewing like LGBTQ music through the decades, different mm-hmm. like gay icons, people that have really made an impression on LGBTQ music. And I guess like I kind of want to start by asking you, Monica, like your research kind of started going back to the 50s, I think you said, right? Like, would you say that's kind of when LGBTQ music really started to kind of become more popularized? Yeah. So I, I do want to start off with saying that I'm definitely not a music expert. So if I say anything that's uh, technically not correct, please, you know, let me know because uh, I, I had so much fun diving into this, but it's not something I've been well versed in for years and years or anything like that. But from what I've seen, there's always been queer people making things and being included in these types of artistic spaces, especially the artistic spaces such as music, theater, film. And there's little fragments of them that we've found, but the further on we get, like the 50s and 60s, 70s, obviously the sexual liberation movement and and everything, that's when they really start being loud and proud and and Mm -hmm. out there and more apparent when when you look back. But they've always been there. Like you can find like obviously gay and queer artists in their songs and in their lyrics and things like that. Like I have found some of the gayest lyrics from songs from the forties and, and stuff. So it's, it's good. It's That's so awesome. cool. Yeah. It's awesome. And I was like, just thinking about that too. Like you don't really think about it too much during those decades. Like I always, and I feel like most people associate like the eighties and the seventies, like that time period when like LGBTQ and queer culture was really coming to the forefront. Cause you had people like, I always think of, Elton John is like a huge person that really brought Mm -hmm. to light a lot of LGBTQ and he was very open too about his journey coming out and even like struggling with that sort of presence. Madonna obviously was like a huge icon in the 80s LGBTQ culture. But who are some of the people that you found that like were kind of before that? So definitely some of the things I found in the 20s, 30s, and 40s was a lot in kind of the blues. There was a lot of queer women who expressed themselves in the blues and like the deep south ma rainey was one of them who was just been in that uh recent oscar nominated uh, movie yeah i hadn't seen it but i recognized that name instantly even though i'm not like a a blues person just because of that movie so she was dubbed like the mother of the blues Mm -hmm. and she has a song called prove it on me blues that has some of the gayest lyrics i've ever heard it's uh went out last night with a crowd of my friends they must have been women because i don't like no men and i was like okay that's pretty gay that's just straight up that's pretty gay you know in 1935 bessie jackson who's another famous blues singer released a song called bd women blues and bd just straight up stands for bull dyke that's what it means when she sings about it that's awesome so uh, yeah she has those lyrics are like coming a time bd women they got they ain't gonna need no men and BD women you sure can't understand they got a head like a sweet angel and they walk just like a natural man and I was like yes let's talk about butch ladies in in our (laughs) lyrics that's awesome but yeah for sure it was more few and far between and during like the 50s it got more apparent and obvious and out there for sure Mm -hmm. And that's interesting to you that blues music was kind of a foundation for that because blues music is such a foundation for all music. Like you can trace the origins of any genre, rock, hip hop, pop, whatever, 
back to blue music and like especially like bluegrass and jazz and all that stuff especially from the south where those artists like ma rainey and bestie like you mentioned like they were probably Mm -hmm. really starting their careers so that's that's awesome i think that's so cool that you know they're kind of like dropping those little hints in their lyrics and things like that Mm -hmm. and then it's like as we progress obviously things become a little bit more apparent with artists and musicians just being like hey i'm i'm gay like i'm queer i'm bi whatever and I, I know that, like, I'm guessing that the blues kind of inherently comes out of suffering, right? So, like, a lot of it is about the Black experience in, in the Deep South during those times. And I'm guessing probably the queer experience is included in that because the blues come is kind of about singing about hardships during those times. And so, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that queer lyrics would be included in that type of space as well. Something else that is interesting with LGBTQ and queer music, too, is that gay music, quote-unquote, quote is like a certain type of genre you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. dance like very like energetic is that something that you would kind of agree upon and see just like a trend in some of the artists you found like as we get a little bit more contemporary I think as it moves more into the 70s and 80s you definitely see it a lot in like disco pop things like that one of those reasons being I feel like is that gender expression was a lot more like you were you were free to, freer to do that type of thing like you could you have really flamboyant and big performances and more effeminate male performers whether or not they were gay or straight so it was an, a space that these queer people could easily glide into and kind of occupy mm-hmm. because the norms were already starting to be thrown out like in, during the 60s is kind of when it was more like let's do what's not traditional and normal and kind of break some stereotypes so it was a really good mm-hmm. space for these queer people to move into i totally see dance and disco and uh, and and pop music and things being the first areas and kind of still not so much disco anymore but you know you know like still those are uh, i think just now we're starting to see gay artists in every genre because mm-hmm. they're kind of allowed to be in every genre now but yeah for sure i totally see where you're coming from that is kind of the first thing that pops into your head when you think about quote-unquote gay music yeah for sure and just like a i think a really good exploitation of that is the show pose if you've seen it or like heard of it I've heard of it. My girlfriend's obsessed with it and watched the whole thing. And I have not seen it, but I've heard that it's very good. Yeah, Yeah. it's very good. I haven't watched the whole series. I watched like a few episodes and it is good. Like it's a really good show that exposes how the underground pose culture and voguing and all that stuff like really came to be. And kind of like something you just mentioned, how it became acceptable and it became an area for people to just express themselves fully. Literally, the Madonna song Express Yourself was like the huge anthem during that time too that was like, it's okay to be who you are and it's okay to express who you are. Yeah, and bringing up Madonna, I don't know if Madonna herself is queer at all. I don't think she is. But I, th- I yeah. it's very interesting to me whenever there are artists who are, by all means, straight, becoming gay icons. You know, that's mm-hmm. the coolest and weirdest thing to me because we saw that a lot in the 70s and 80s too. Like, a lot of the gay anthems were sung by people who weren't gay at all. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times they were totally like in the queer community and a part of it and behind it and everything. That is something that's always fascinated me that these people who become gay icons who aren't gay at all. Yeah, I'm like trying to think of some, especially nowadays that are in that category. Like, I don't know if Dua Lipa has ever like alluded at her sexuality. I think she might be because her Mm -hmm. song don't stop now when she talked about did like a full 180 and she kind of talks about being out with the girl like at the club i think yeah. that's kind of hinting that she might be a little bi curious but she's never like mm-hmm. had some kind of statement saying like that she is bi or queer or whatever yeah a lot of these people like if you give it 10 years they do come out at some point you know like you just give them a little bit of time and they do especially if they if they're already like so prevalent in those queer spaces and sexuality is so much on a spectrum now that I feel like people are more able to come out now as something that even, you know, if they were famous in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they'd be like, well, I'm basically straight. I think I'm just straight, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's very it's very cool. Yeah. And like on that topic, too, about people just kind of being in their career for a while and then eventually saying like, oh, I'm, you know, whatever. The blog post that I mostly based that off of was from Kalani when she came out officially as lesbian. And she's someone who's been in the music industry for a while. And Mm -hmm. she had never like said she was lesbian. She even at one point said she wasn't. She was like, I don't identify as lesbian. 
then she was like oh i'm bi and now people are like maybe she isn't bi maybe she is lesbian and she's like yeah mm -hmm. like there's literally like it was in a video she's like yeah like i'm gay like i'm g -g gay like she 100 percent yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she made it a point and like demi lovato too came out as pansexual recently which is like another thing that people were i would think not that shocked about because like she did drop like hints with cool for the summer that came out a few years back of being mm -hmm. by curious and things like that but now she's really like gone for it like she's like shaved her head she's changed her look like she's just like literally all out there. 30 minutes before this we started recording this podcast demi lovato tweeted something and came out as non-binary and uses they them pronouns like oh, i no read way. that 30 minutes before we started recording this podcast and i was like holy shit because i read your blog post and you talked about demi lovato and I, i'm gonna bring up demi lovato later on in this thing and i was like dang like that's that's wild that's awesome i missed yeah, that so it's cool. awesome that you caught that yeah Somebody else that I love too when they came out as non-binary was Sam Smith. I know. Yeah. I felt so bad because I talked about Sam Smith for a hot minute in my latest podcast. And then my girlfriend was like listening to it. And my girlfriend's also non-binary, uses they and them pronouns. Mm -hmm. And like texted me and was like, um, you misgendered Sam Smith the entire time that you were talking about them. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like I usually oh, yeah. am really good about that. But Sam Smith, they did that a few years ago, I feel like. Yeah, and I think it was like two or three now. Yeah. And so that was 100% my bad for not like just doing a quick putting my eyeballs on the internet for five seconds and, and <laughs> finding that out. But more and more artists lately are coming out as gender fluid, non-binary and, and different things like that, which I saw a lot from like the 2010s on, which I didn't see so much in earlier stuff. And mm -hmm. I, again, I just think that's because people have the space now. They probably didn't even have the language or space to explore their gender as much in yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s and whatnot. And something but, that yeah. I noted at too when I did that blog post was just the acceptance factor and like the open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. Like this generation of music fans and like movie and TV fans are just more open and they're more like well-versed in that in these concepts where it's like, you know, it's not strange to them the more exposure you have to something the less shocked by it every single time you see it so as a society you know someone else comes out as anything other than cis you're a little mm. bit less like surprised by it or like oh okay you know like just automatically just because you're the more exposed you are to something the less of a taboo thing it is or the yeah. less shocking it is like whether you like it or not you're gonna get used to it yeah, someone else I just thought of too, because I just did my last episode on her album is BB Rixa, because I referenced an article that she was quoted in or did a whole feature with the Gay Times. And she was saying like, she's coming to terms with her sexuality and saying that she's been attracted to women. She's in a relationship with a man. She's been in relationships with men before in the past, but she's someone else who's kind of coming to terms with her sexual fluidity. Mm -hmm. Rita Ora actually, I think was somebody else that I saw recently. Like she was kind of coming to more terms with like her sexuality. And this was actually a question I wanted to ask you if you have ever heard or know her song Girls that she has with Charlie XCX, Cardi B, and there's somebody else on that. No, I, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, like it's actually interesting. So I was reading about that song one night and I guess like she kind of came under fire because the song, like the main gist of the song is kind of just saying sometimes I just want to kiss girls. In, mm -hmm. like, a very nonchalant, but, like, also ignoring type of way. Like, oh, like, you know, maybe I just want to kiss girls when I'm drunk. Yeah. You know, just, like, for a fun thing, you know what I mean? And not really, like, taking it seriously as a concept and saying, you know, some people actually are attracted to women who are women. So I think she actually came under fire for that song and saying that's, like, a serious topic. I think people thought she was kind of poking fun at it in a way. And it's actually interesting because I want to make this connection. An artist that really attacked her on it was Haley Kyoko, who really? is like a huge LGBTQ plus advocate. Like she, oh, is, yeah. she's, uh, I think she's won some awards too. And especially as a young artist, like she's a huge voice in that community. I oh, don't yeah. Know, I don't know how much you were aware of any of that, but I just wanted to dump that on you and get your thoughts. I, and this is me not having heard the song, but my mm -hmm. first impression is wanting to just kiss girls when you're drunk but still identifying as straight is okay too. I think people can be a little bit too nitpicky on that type of thing because when Katy Perry released I Kissed a Girl, that was celebrated when that came out. Yeah. That was celebrated maybe just because it better fit the time, you know? But there's totally nothing wrong with experimenting with, you know, saying that you enjoy 
maybe kissing girls, but maybe not anything else, you know, but whatever. Like, everything is valid. Sexuality is strange and it changes. Like, you can identify as one thing and a few years later identify as something else. And this is me, like I said, not having heard any of the lyrics or anything. So maybe it is a little, eh, a little cringy or something like that. But I really don't think that people should be so ready to attack somebody when it comes to them talking about their exact sexuality if that is exactly how she feels that's okay sing a song about it sing a song about how it's fun to kiss girls even though maybe you are straight you know it's you know but i can see how some people could not like someone talking about it without as much reverence or respect to the lgbt community but i hear you so like i have heard the song and i never really thought of it in that capacity until Mm -hmm. i saw what Haley kyoko had said about it And I kind of thought like, kind of like on the same page as you, I think she might have like took it a little bit too far and like Mm -hmm. accusing Rita Ora of maybe putting a message out there that she wasn't actually intending on. But like, that's why I also made that point earlier to say, I think Rita Ora now has kind of explained like she's a little bit more sexually fluid than 100% straight or but you know, which, what if she wasn't even ready to come out yet? What if she felt pressure to come out because people That's were like, how true. dare you sing about that if you're straight? You know, it's just, yeah. it's not good to pressure people, but you know. Yeah, it's interesting. And yeah, like I said, it's just what caught my eye about that case is because Haley Kyoko is such a huge voice in that community. Yeah. So people are going to listen to her. Like, I feel like because she is very open, I think she identifies as lesbian. So she is very open about her sexuality and people look to her for that kind of stuff. So yeah, like, I didn't think it really like, sent that kind of message along. I didn't think it was offensive in any way. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that somebody with such power, I guess you could say, in the queer community had so much to say about it in a negative way. Yeah, and you got to be careful when you have that type of power because you really can like Mm -hmm. tell people you should be mad at this person. I think Hayley Kiyoko is awesome and a badass and a great artist. And you know, and her feelings are also valid. I will say that if she was, if she took offense to it, then there's probably some reason why she found that to be disrespectful in some way. And that's fine too, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of transition now into talking more about specific songs that could be labeled as like gay iconic songs and things of that sort. Just from the list that I had pulled when I wrote that blog post, Haley Kiyoko's song, Girls mm-hmm. Like Girls, I think is a huge example of love and acceptance. And Oh, yeah. I think that's a huge component when it comes to these quote-unquote gay iconic songs, where it's just all about like love and acceptance and just being who you are. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a bop. It's a great song. <laughs> I um, and The music video is great, too, because... Yeah. Um, and she directed it, uh, I'm pretty sure. She directed the music video. It's like a definitely like a lesbian movie, but in a in like a four minute video because mm-hmm. all it is is like very subtle s- sexual tension, you know, of them like doing each other's makeup and, you know, just like glancing over and then looking away and then glancing back, you know, and right. then the tension's all, and then they finally kiss at the end and it's very well made. Like it just looks like a little indie movie in a, in a little video. Um, And the song is great. I, I love the lyrics. I don't know how famous Haley Kiyoka was in terms of music before this. I know she had definitely been in the scene for a minute, but that was when I first heard of her. Uh, I remember listening to it a lot when it first came out. Like, I was jamming out to it hard. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good one. And yeah, she was on Disney Channel before. Like, that's kind of how she got, like, her big start. And it's so interesting. Like, I want to do another segment on just Disney Channel stars and, like, how they've impacted music or just changed their career. Because she is definitely one of those people. Demi Lovato is definitely another one of those people who, like, after leaving Disney has kind of been more free to explore her sexuality. Like, we talked about her a bit. Miley Cyrus, too, was, like, another huge Mm -hmm. one. Like, she's... I think she identifies as bi-curious or one of those things. I don't know for sure. I definitely think she identifies as bisexual, I think, because she's been quoted saying, I don't feel gay, but I also don't feel straight. And she said, oh, that Mm. finally makes sense because I don't think I'm a boy or a girl. So it kind of, it's hard to put a a gay or straight label on it. So she's definitely queer and she's been in the game for forever. And like, you're right that she, uh, she's like a lot of other Disney stars that we kind of, as a society, want to keep them as innocent, cute little kids for the rest of their lives. So they Mm -hmm. go kind of even harder on proving that they're sexual beings and they're kind of breaking those norms a little bit harder, um, just like Demi Lovato and and everybody. But people were really pissed at her for a while, like just like thinking that she was just 
awful, but I think she's come back around. I've always liked her. I've always been a Miley I like fan. Her. I have. So I've much always been on the her. Miley train. Oh my god, yeah. And I, uh, I do. I, I've loved her latest stuff more than I've loved anything she's ever come mm. out with. And yeah. I want to ask you about Lil Nas' song "Montero Call Me by Your yeah. Name" because like that video and that song have gotten so much shit. I just don't see why like i think it was like parents were mad because their kids were watching it and they were like Mm -hmm. our kids shouldn't be watching well why are your kids watching it in the first place and second of all like they're watching it i'm like artists are gonna put out art that's like representative of what they want so you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be mad at your kid watching that the video itself is not like the most pg friendly like it's not but it's not the like, worst either. Oh yeah, it's it could not be the worst. a lot. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like what? It, like you have you you've seen the video? I assume, right? Oh yeah. Well, I loved it right off the bat, and I think he is brilliant because mm. I feel like he created the video, especially, but the song and the video, knowing it was going to make people mad, and mm. therefore getting a lot of media attention and, and stuff on it. Which is the same thing with the shoes that turned out to be nothing, yeah. you know, the satanic shoes or whatever that had like drops yeah, of human was, blood or whatever. Yeah, I think it was Nike yeah. was trying to sue them for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like genius, super smart. That's like so many people have listened to that song and watched that video because of the controversy behind it. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there's lots of shit that your kids shouldn't watch. Uh, make sure they don't watch it. You know, everyone has different standards for what their kids can and can't consume. So set those rules for your kids, but uh, you don't ask artists to only make what PG videos. So mm-hmm. just in case your kid stumbles across them, like, and a lot of people were mad about the religious aspect of it, but like he's in hell and he's dancing on the devil. I mean, like, would you prefer it if he were in heaven and dancing up on and grinding on God and giving <laughs> God a lap dance? Like, this seems like you would prefer it to be the devil, right? And then he kills the devil right afterwards. Right, yeah. Like, this is like a Christian anthem. He There's literally, some there. yep. <laughs> yeah, he kills the devil. Like, that's awesome, right? Like, you yeah, should yeah, be, yeah. you should be totally behind this. But I mm-hmm. love it. Anything that makes my parents mad, I'm usually pretty behind. <laughs> Retweet. <laughs> tweet I am behind shit. it. And oh, it's yeah. funny because another point we brought up earlier was like artists occupying different genres that isn't the stereotypical like gay music genre and he is like one of those artists because he is a rapper and he's in hip-hop yeah frank ocean broke down a lot of barriers in that's the true yeah i forgot about uh, that mm-hmm. yeah like uh, he was one of the first hip-hop artists that came out as gay correct like not that i know I of anyway so, yeah. and uh yeah that's definitely a genre and a community where it takes a few extra steps to be out and proud and accepted when, when he was he was pretty accepted by his peers and, and by the community and i think it was just because of uh all the artists that came before him that broke down all of those barriers and helped him and all the other artists get to that place and little nas x like everyone who came before him helped him get to that place too mm-hmm. because he not only is he like yeah i'm gay you know <laughs> like meekly like, saying yeah i'm gay no, whatever like i am he's like, he's like i'm gay bitch it. yeah mm-hmm. like he's yeah he's just so open about it and i love it like he's just like he's sh- sh- obnoxious obnoxiously shoving it in people's faces and mm-hmm. i love it we need people like that too like we just need people to make it more of a thing and to just not be afraid to just put it out there oh yeah agreed have you ever seen the music video or heard of the song girls chase boys by ingrid michelson that's another one i have on my list yes that one's an interesting one because ingrid michelson is awesome i've seen her live twice she's a badass we love ingrid michelson she's straight and like i said that's another person that i'm like oh you're really popular in the gay community and this is a very gay song and music mm-hmm. video like the music video is really gay too yeah i love um, that video yeah, too it's a good song yeah it's very cute it's very like kind of similar to some of the other songs you've mentioned how about any songs mm-hmm. that you came up with so i'm a big fan of queen i'm a big fan of nice freddie mercury and when i looked through people who were pretty prominent in the 70s and into the 80s you know elton john David Bowie, Freddie Mercury were all gay icons during that time. All three of those guys really expressed themselves through their gender expression Mm -hmm. and the type of performances they put on. And, you know, especially Freddie, who is like really is rock and roll. But, you know, it's it's gay rock and roll. You know, it's it's awesome. (laughs) It's it's great. He's one of the greatest singers in the history of rock music. And 
his very flamboyant, you know, stage persona and everything. He never came out for one. Like, that's yeah. wild. But my favorite song of theirs is I Want to Break Free. And the music video that accompanies that is all of them in drag. It's a great video. I'm pretty sure it caused quite the uproar when it came out. Like, Probably. which which is how you know something will be remembered is if it makes <laughs> a lot of people mad, you know. And that's yep. how you know progress is being made is if it makes people mad. Like, um, it's you breaking have to the norm. Yeah, yeah. You have to make people mad for quite a bit of time before, like I said, they get less and less shocked every time, and then they're not as mad anymore. And that's when you finally like have made some real progress. Yep. Um, Facts. That's one of my favorites of Queen, which is a great gay anthem. Other iconic gay songs. I mean, in doing some research on like the 80s and stuff and like gay anthems. Yeah. The YMCA by the Village People, you know, that's like I a did gay not song. even think of that. Oh, oh my, my God. God. That is so wild because like my whole life I was like, oh, yeah, this is a gay song written by gay people for gay people mm -hmm. but the more i looked into it like straight up the heterosexual frontman for mm -hmm. the village people has said it is not about gay sex and he wants oh everyone God. to know it's not about gay sex and he will sue anyone who <laughs> tries to like claim it is about gay sex and i'm just like oh that's weird well like and then he said well i'm fine with gay people by the way but this is not like I, I'm, I'm That's okay with that they so adopted funny. it as their anthem, but I'm like, it, it's about gay sex. Just relax. We've <laughs> like taken you're asking over. All the men to get together at the Y. Mm -hmm. Come on, there's something. Death there. of the author. We've decided it's about gay sex. You can yeah. go home now. Yeah. <laughs> like it's only done at family picnics now. So who's who's really getting hurt? It's done at like weddings and stuff, like very straight it's weddings true. too. It's oh the gayest God. song you'll hear at a straight wedding. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. What are your what, what are some of your favorite iconic gay? Yeah, like some of the other songs too that I reference in the post that I put out. Mm -hmm. Halsey is one of my icons. I yeah adore her. I would marry her in a heartbeat if she asked <laughs> me to. I'm really hoping she does hear this. Halsey, I accept. <laughs> her song Strangers, which actually like I have a really personal connection to. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. It's not one of her bigger I'm ones. Not. It came off of her Hopeless Fountain Kingdom album, which is her second album. And it's with, um, I can never say her last name, Lauren, who used to be in Fifth Harmony. Mm -hmm. And I think both of them now, Halsey and Lauren, identify as bisexual. That song talks about when you're in that environment of just wanting like companionship. And like we all kind of fall in those habits where we just want physical touch or sex or whatever. And it mm -hmm. might not be the best thing because it's from somebody you're just not really supposed to be with or might not be like the greatest person. And that song, like the main chorus is we're not lovers. We're just strangers with the same damn hunger to be touched, to be loved, mm -hmm. to feel anything at all. And like, that's funny because that song I discovered at like a time where I was kind of going through something similar. And the more I looked into it, I was like, this is kind of a gay song. Like, this is kind of yeah. talking about because it's obviously two women on the track. So I go, I think that's kind of the innuendo that she's putting on there is if you're in those settings, it doesn't matter who you're with. Like, it could just happen. Like, it could just be with whoever you're really feeling at that time. I highly recommend that song, Strangers by Halsey. Like, it's a really, really good one. I, yeah, I'm going to have to check to that it. out. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And obviously, like, to bring it back to Kalani and how, like, I inspired this whole segment, her song Honey, which was from 2017, is another, like, amazing gay song where, like, people started to question her sexuality because it's just her saying, like, I like my girls just like I like my honey. So, like, <laughs> right off the bat, everyone's like, whoa, okay. You gay, you're gay. And she's like, no, no, no. And then obviously flash forward to now. She's like, oh, yeah, I am. Like, and it's funny, too. <laughs> Maybe in that video, a little bit. Yeah, in that video, mm -hmm. too. Like, she's like, my parents and my family were like, we know. And it's like, mm -hmm. Kalani, you put out that song, people are going to be like, yeah, she's probably into chicks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it when artists, like, their fan base, like, knows what their sexuality is before they even know it. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, listen to your lyrics. Have you heard them? Like, yeah, we're on gay. this journey with you. This is yeah. just what we're <laughs> taking in. I think it's about time that you do the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're just waiting, you know, any, any day now for you to come out of the closet. For sure, yeah. Well, Monica, I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Yeah. Like, this has been so, like, informative. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for letting me be on here. It's been so much fun. Stealing kisses from your messes doesn't make
That's the rotated review. Want to join me for the next review? Send in your suggestions to the on rotation podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at the on rotation or Instagram at on rotation podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button while you're at it. To read this review fully, see my blog, or listen to past episodes, log on to on rotation podcast.wordpress.com. And now it's time to take a look at what pops this week in news. Ariana Grande and Dalton Gomez tied the knot at their home in Montecito, California on Monday, May 17th. According to Grande's representative, the ceremony was small and intimate with less than 20 people attending. The couple started dating in January 2020 and announced their engagement back in December. Lana Del Rey shared three new songs of her upcoming album this past week. The songs include Textbook, Wildflower Wildfire, and Blue Bannisters. The full project, also called Blue Bannisters, will be out on July 4th. This announcement comes after Delray's last album, Chemtrails Over the Country Club, was released in March. And ASAP Rocky opened up about his relationship with Rihanna by calling her the love of his life. The rapper was on the cover of GQ's June-July feature and was quoted saying that Rihanna is the one. She amounts to probably a million of other ones, Rocky said. I think when you know, you know. The issue came out on May 19th. That's going to do it for this episode. Feel free to tune in next time when we rotate through a whole new slew of topics. In the meantime, keep it real, y'all. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.